0: Hey y'all, welcome to Credit Card Families, this is Adrian and Dash. Really great to be here with you again. Absolutely. Thanks for um, waiting the long haul. Uh, we've switched from a fortnight to a month, so I appreciate that if you're listening to this now, it means that you are committed and I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, thanks for sticking
1: around. It's um, it's good to be back
0: a few weeks later. It is nice, actually. I, um, I'm looking forward to today's episode and I hope that it's good for all of you as well. I guess we would just want to start by giving you an update on what's been happening for little Ashy um, regarding the egg collection.
1: Yeah, so I think it was just before my birthday, maybe the 20th of March, 21st of March, yeah. I had the egg collection. And, yeah, I guess all in all I feel like I got out of it um, relatively easy. Um, I generally respond pretty well to a general uh, – so that was – you know, that part I guess was always going to be pretty fine. Um, But the actual, you know, the other part of the procedure and things I feel like the recovery was not too bad for me as well. I felt quite lucky. I had some cramps and things, but and I guess also I have really intense period pain whenever I have my period. So um, it kind of felt like period pain that wasn't that bad in a way. So I felt like it was like some cramps, but nothing compared to what I would have on a normal cycle. So uh, I was back at work a few days later and, um, I think it took a few weeks for the hormones to sort of be out. I definitely feel like my emotions were really intense and I was, um, a bit up and down and, um, you know, struggling. (laughs) Adrian's like, ah, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was and it's hard, I think, to see your partner, you know, just having such a hard time. There's nothing other than just being a sweetheart and like trying to do what you can to make it better because it's just so internal and you just feel like just, so, <laughs> it just feels so full on. So, yeah, it was nice to see you go from having a really hard time to having a fairly easy procedure and then having a good recovery as well. Yeah. I think that that felt really nice because so many things have been really hard.
1: Yeah, it's true. And yeah, I think it, it does definitely feel like that. We have had so many hard times. So it was kind of like, okay, this is, um, this is good. I feel okay that this has been not too bad. Um, and so I'm a bit older than Adrian. I, uh, ended up with eight eggs that were removed on the day and six of them were of a quality that could be fertilized. And then on day five, I ended up with three that were able to be, um, frozen as day five embryos. So that was, that was pretty good. I feel pretty happy with that result. And, um, I guess you know we'll just sort of wait a few years and see what see what kind of happens um, in regards to me carrying as well potentially so I, or, or attempting to again obviously as you know I have tried previously and it and didn't work so um, it's yeah it's exciting and, and really we couldn't have done the egg collection for me any earlier um, because we we have always wanted to have the same donor for for both. Uh, that we carry. So it kind of feels like, I guess, like a a bit of a, a bit of closure, I think on on this sort of chapter for, for us in terms of, yeah. Which
0: is something that I think when you're sort of in the depths of IVF, IUI in the pits that I really struggled to see a finish line. Like Mm. it felt so relentlessly challenging That I struggled to be like, okay, we are going to get pregnant. This is going to happen. We will reach this point. So, it it feels quite surreal that we're even here saying (laughs) we we have a bit of closure. Like it's pretty. I just can't. I mean, I believe it, but I can't. It's just incredible. Very
1: surreal. Yeah. Really, really weird. And this is the first time we talk really, and it's about it. And it's it is it is quite strange. So, yeah, it does feel like some some closure on that bit at least, and um it's nice I think to be part to for this this podcast to be I think the sharing of our story and I certainly always think about when we do have kids at some point um that the amount of um knowledge and and that they can share this journey that that part of this podcast is really important to me that we can share this with our our future kids but also that obviously that plays about sharing stories and um listening to people and having having these amazing stories of the people that trust to to share with us and you, you, who are listening. So that's always a really interesting part as well. So it's kind of exciting to have another special guest today.
0: Yeah, definitely. So today um, we'll do the story and then at the end of it, there'll be an update again from us, but it'll be more around the pregnancy side of things. So um, definitely if you're keen to listen to that, please stay tuned past the um, interview because there'll be, bit of information that we want to share with you just some little updates um but the the interview today is pretty special it's from one of our friends called Talus, who ash has known for quite a while and who was actually i think one of the very first of your friends mm. who i met on facetime when i was still living in the states
1: um geez i, I reckon i met tell in maybe 2004 or something like that amazing. 2005 not long after i returned from perth so definitely yeah Old, old friends, so Yeah,
0: then Telus is just amazing. So it was really beautiful to um I guess sit and have the space to to really hear the ins and outs of mm. TELUS's story and bits of pieces that I knew along the way and that we've chatted about sort of here and there. But really beautiful. And I think what's really sweet about this one is um there's some little snippets um of her youngin' as well in there. So that's really nice. Um yeah, so TELUS is Um, a cisgender queer person who went through the IVF IUI rounds quite intensively and started that with a former partner and ended the process with a new partner and discusses sort of navigating what that was like. Um, And then also some of the, I guess, challenges and nuances of being a queer parent um, and what that looks like for them. So it's pretty amazing. So hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah, I hope
2: you enjoy about what we're talking about when the doctors put you in my coming yeah that's pretty neat isn't it we tell Lenny all about it all the time yeah which yeah which is interesting we don't have to go into any um kind of uncomfortable territory to, to have the conversation about how he was
0: conceived that's nice. Yeah. It's just, uh, the doctors. Did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the doctors took care of business. That's pretty yeah. special, isn't it? That you had an extra doctor there to help make you? That's pretty neat. That's what yeah. my babies will have too.
2: Yeah. The doctors helped put the baby to Adrian's Sunny. Oh. Yeah. They're driving two of them. I'm Talus. I'm Talus. I am Talus. No. <laughs> and this is Leonard. <laughs> no, I'm not Leonard. <laughs> and I'm his birth mother. Um and uh, Lenny has another parent. Um but she wasn't on a scene when uh, Lenny was created in a in a lab. <laughs> so um so it was a little bit of a journey to get Lenny into my tummy.
0: <laughs> Can you take us back to the start of the journey, sort of where where you were and what was happening for you then?
2: Yeah. So I think I was about 28 and I really wanted to have children. Um, I had... A long-term relationship breakup, and I think I just assumed that I would be having kids in that relationship. Um, and so, so when it ended, um, I felt like, oh well, I as a as a child, I'd assumed that I would be a single mother because I think um, that's just what I thought. It wasn't such a shock. And I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, for John, I'll have, you know, I'll have kids on my own then. Um, But then I, like, fell into this relationship, which was quite intense, um, and um, that partner wanted to have kids with me. So quite quickly we started trying um, with another friend, just trying – H- home insemination, and uh, I had about six goes at that, and it wasn't Rah. working. Maybe we didn't have the timing quite Rah. right. Uh, also, I seem to have given birth to a what tiger. <laughs> okay, nah. baby, can you go into the kitchen, please? Nah. And look for your gumboots. I'm a away. Okay, you go do away. Yeah, I mean, a few things could have been happening that meant that wasn't working but anyway it didn't work and so we went to talk to melbourne ibf um they asked us to do two rounds of iui well, i think initially they offered us to do three rounds but then they pulled the plug and said we only got two chances because they uh i think just because of the lack of sperm and it, it uses a lot of sperm to do iui so
0: and were you using the same donor or were you going – did you switch to an anonymous donor then?
2: Yeah, that's right. Through IVF we did anonymous donor from the start. Um, and um, and so that's why the – I think that if you're bringing your own sperm, <laughs> they'll get let you have more goes at IUI. Um, but, you know, I feel – in retrospect, I really feel like it was a waste of time and emotional investment and money because – it's, you know, still pretty expensive. Um, the only saving seems to be in terms of invasiveness for your body. Um, yeah, but like with lower, like yeah. Anyway, I think IUI cost about the same amount as IVF did, because of less rebates for it or something like that. Um, and so it didn't work. Uh, I went. They were saying I had no fertility problems, so it was just unexplained why that wouldn't work and why the other um, at-home attempts hadn't worked.
0: Um, And that's so interesting. So six attempts at home and then two through a clinic and still nothing and they're not even querying what it could possibly be causing it. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, my understanding is that um, if you could conceive at home and – that they wouldn't probably consider you to have a fertility problem unless you'd gone 12 months without conceiving. So, um, you know, it's just not that high a rate of... Yeah. (laughs) I went on a pretty intense regime of um, being healthy and did the egg collection round. They put me on a really long egg collection cycle it took about two months they yeah so it was pretty full on that they essentially what they did is that they down regulated my cycle and then you know switched it on with their hormones but it didn't I didn't respond very well to that switching on so I only had three embryos collected And that was horrible. Um, I remember waking up in the um, women's hospital in a row of other women who'd had the procedure that morning, and the nurse was coming along the line telling them how many that they'd gotten collected. And, you know, nobody had had as few as me. There were, you know, 12, eight. you know, that was seemed to be pretty normal. And I got three. Um, they said that's because one ovary just didn't respond at all.
0: Okay, yeah. So
2: that was disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the lucky thing for us was that they were healthy embryos. You know, they gave them a good rating based on, <laughs> I think, as... Not very technical. They seem to just eyeball them and check if they're kind of nice and round. Multiplying is <laughs> what they want. So they were again the we did a fresh transfer, you know, um, following from the egg collection, didn't work. And then I just really needed a break from doing it, um, and because it was. I just, there's a mythology of fertility in my family that we're like super fertile. And so it was a real shock for me to realize that apparently I wasn't.
0: (laughs) And the internal, I guess, dialogue that you probably, you know, had created by your family and then that you told yourself and then the conflict that would have created. And that's massive.
2: Yeah. And also just that feeling of being churned through the system. So I needed a break from it, and then um, there was all this other stuff going on as well, like my then partner being having cancer and having surgery to have that dealt with. And oh, so yeah, so we stopped. We had a break, and during that break, we broke up. Um, and it was connected, for sure, because I had all these thoughts around the IVF. It's hard not to ruminate about it, I think. And I just ended up feeling like maybe the reason I wasn't getting pregnant was because I wasn't in the right relationship and that I wasn't, I didn't feel, <laughs> like, nurtured and supported Um which, you know, I was doing a lot of caring work because of my partner's illness. Um, yeah, so I, I do think the stresses of IVF was connected to that breakup. Oh, mm. it would
0: make sense. The, I think until someone goes through IVF, there's no real way of understanding just how heavy and how much space it takes up.
2: Yeah, there's just lots of appointments. There's all this pressure. The fact that you're paying all this money puts this additional layer on everything. Started dating someone else and then spent a a year
1: in that that.
2: dating relationship. And then, but you know, she she had known that um, that I'd been going through the IVF um, before we were in a relationship. And so, and I guess I came with a big label on me. <laughs> I, I'm going to do this <laughs> with you or without you. Yeah. Yeah, so then it took ages to, um, you know, my ex had to sign a, a revocation of permission In to treat body. me, which is like these, you know, bizarre names, these forms that IVF have, which implies that your partner owns your body and can give permission for you to be treated. It's just, you know, Jill had to give permission <laughs> and then, and we had to go through the counselling process again, which was a bit, you know, I don't think much of the counselling that IVF provides because it felt a bit like ticker box. And, and in this case, it was. Kind of like uh, I, I felt like I was. I felt a bit like I was like the crazy lady, just dragging successive partners uh-oh. into the house. Where well, we we got through that fine. We got approved to be parents, and um, okay. and then we we, her. we did uh, the first. So this is my second embryo then, mm-hmm. um, and it. To us, it felt like it initially worked. And then there was a point where I suddenly felt, um, yeah, I just knew that it was gone. Um, And uh, when I, yeah, so, you know, you have to go in and have the blood tests, but already I had my period anyway, properly. Oh. Wasn't any surprise when they said it was negative. Get
0: out, crocodile.
2: (laughs) And, uh, but, yeah, again, it was like churning through. Like, this is my last Um, embryo now that we were looking at using. And my doctors just said, you know, do you want me to line it up for next month? And I had to put the brakes on and say, well, why isn't it working? Because this is my last go. Um, didn't have the money to do another egg collection and so I did my own reading and it seemed to me like I was a prime candidate to have um, an excess of natural killer cells because I do have an overactive immune system which manifests in lots of ways and so I asked for that test which wasn't very much money and um and it also involved some bonus abrasion of the uterus wall which apparently is associated with greater success um in IVF and and it came back positive and so they treated they did a transfer um they called and said it's and said that we don't know why, but people seem to have greater success with IVF if they do have a transfer after there's been some abrasion. So, you know, it would be good to do it now. And so we did, and I, I, and I used steroids to treat the immune overactivity and the pregnancy stuck. See the elephant. A real relief.
1: See the elephant.
2: (laughs) Although you know, if I if they hadn't told me that about the abrasion and everything, I would have waited till (laughs) after this overseas trip that I had locked in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I ended up having to have my eight week ultrasound, you know, where they check if there's a heartbeat, Um, in Sheffield in the UK, without my partner. But fortunately, with an old friend who was there, so I mean that was a bit, you know. And then I had morning sickness all around this trip around Europe, which. <laughs> but that you know, I was glad of it, of course. You know, just glad that it was happening.
0: Yeah. You so you were the one who requested the test. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Mm. Even thought No, that. they just would have churned me through and I would have lost the next embryo as well.
0: Oh, so frustrating.
2: Yeah, because I, I i do think that's what was happening is that I was having, um. I was just, you know, my body was identifying the embryo as an alien, <laughs> which it is, obviously. <laughs> yes.
0: So amazing hmm. that you you know, had the insight and capacity to be able to look into that and figure that out. It's great. was lucky. Very lucky. Very lucky. So then how did the pregnancy go?
2: So I had a little bit of breakthrough bleeding at the start, and that was a bit scary. But it wasn't the same, you know. I think I did feel, you know, I, I sort of knew it wasn't. It wasn't losing it. I also had to travel around Europe with like pessaries of, <laughs> um, but <you> know. <laughs> these were the best that I had. No, well, I did not like them. But the, <laughs> the first, um, the first time I had them, they were in some cream, which was really disgusting. Just so gross. Uh, But this one, the ones that I had with Lenny's pregnancy was, um, they're in cocoa butter. So that was better.
0: Yeah, that's all right. That's pretty nice. (laughs) Bit of like breakthrough bleeding. Um, And so that was sort of the main thing. At the end, I know you had mentioned that Mm. he'd come a bit early, which was planned. Can you talk about that a little
2: bit? Uh, I think there is some limited medical evidence that you have a higher risk of placenta previa with IVF, Um, but it's disputed. Like the sonographer said that to me, you know, that it's, well, this is more common with IVF pregnancies. And then someone, you know, the, the doctor at the hospital disputed it, so it's not settled. But, you know, I had a... IVF and I also did have placenta previa. So, well, again, I just felt so like you just have to be in charge of your own medical stuff as much as possible because I had poor advice about what it meant that I had a low-lying placenta at the 20-week ultrasound. The people were quite, um, the, the midwife that I spoke to um, was quite dismissive of it as a concern um, so I didn't really know it was a concern she just sort of said oh well they normally move up which is not right actually your uterus grows um, but more at the bottom as in the later stages of the pregnancy so then relative to the opening of your cervix the the side of the placenta has moved up Um, but what I Was What what was explained later, like when I was well along, 32 weeks, was that um, it was always so low for me that it was never going to move. It was always going to be too low. So it was, you know, it was a couple of millimetres across the cervix opening, um, and what that means is that going into labour is extremely high-risk, there'd be an abruption Um, as your uterus is contracting, the abruption of the placenta would cause hemorrhaging, which could um, usually would kill the mother and the baby without modern medicine. Uh, So what it meant is that I had to have a scheduled caesarean which was upsetting because I really wanted to have a home birth I was engaged by the home birth program at Sunshine Hospital and you know that's what I wanted um oh I had gestational diabetes also and they tried to kick me off the home birth program because of that but I'd managed to control it so that my bloods were really um you know as good as or better than someone who hadn't been diagnosed with Gestational diabetes, I think, had a mild sort of case of it. And so, you know, I'd fought this fight to stay on the home birth program. (laughs) And then they were just like, "Well, there's no way, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the really good thing was that our midwife, who was with the home birth program, stayed with us through... um, the transition to the hospital birth uh, and we wouldn't otherwise have had her and she was great
0: well that's good that there was a bit of consistency
2: even through all of the changes it helped Jill cope with it all they prepped me to be need to have a blood transfusion because um for a placenta previa you need they because it was at the front of the uterus they had to actually cut through the placenta to to, to get to Lenny, and what that meant is that it was quite a lot of blood loss for mainly for me, I think. Um, it was just this real uh, sharp learning curve of I'm, um, I don't know, just that I had to trust the medical professionals at the end there. <laughs> <of> your hands? <laughs> we nearly cracked it at the like we were really. You know, we really didn't want students to be in there or anything like that. Um, and the funny thing is that both of Jill and I were about to, you know, were kind of feeling really um, defensive and on the edge. And <laughs> Nellie corrected about this young man who looked, he looked really young, <laughs> but he turned out to be the surgeon. <laughs>
0: you're like go back to high school doogie yeah
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway he did a good job oh, that's so funny okay that's good and then so they did they end up doing the transfusion or you were fine i was okay They I, I did have to go into recovery for a bit more than is normal, all but they decided i didn't need a transfusion which was good jill was more traumatized than me by the um by the actual operating theatre, I think, because I was a little bit, I, you know, I, I had that anaesthesia, and also, at that point, I hadn't had anything to eat all day because you're not allowed to eat before surgery, and so I was pretty vagued out. Whereas she was fully aware and alarmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it'd be it'd just be so
0: hard, you know, like it's just standing back and just like, oh God, I hope they. I hope it's okay. And just feeling so powerless and, you know, it'd be horrible.
2: Yep. Yeah. So scary for her. And she said that, um, she described me as like a fish flopping around on the table as they like wrenched Lenny out because he was, he apparently wasn't, hadn't got the mem- memo about, um, the cesarean, and so he was locked and loaded ready to deliver. The- <laughs> oh, that would have been, so full on to watch. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's amazing. He came out. You know, they had to sort of lever him out with, I guess, some um, what, whatever it is that they use around their heads. And he had these bruises across his face. Yeah, but that uh, fella. It healed within two days. That's amazing. They're just so resilient, actually, at that age. You know.
0: How old is he now? He's three, yeah? Yes. There's a couple things I'd I'd love to know, and I had a bit of a preview of this before, but I'd love to know. This is something we've not talked about yet on the podcast. What those conversations have been like with him around his conception and around being a donor conceived person, and what his understanding of that seems to be.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I I think at the moment for Lenny, um, it's completely normal that he was conceived that a doctor um, helped put him into my stomach and that he was delivered in the hospital by a doctor as well. So that's was sort of the story that he knows about it, you know, that we got some help to have him. I think the really, like, pressing thing for him over the last year or so, he's been dealing with um, not having a father because it's really just full-on how... How many picture books just have mums and dads? And that's even with me trying to find the ones that two parents or just one. Par- you know, like I really try and expose him to other stories, um, but there's not many. And there's not there's like we I've probably come across one or two where it's just incidental to the story that there's two mums or you know or two. Which, and, and that's the best you know I feel like I, I'm so thrilled when I find a book where it's just that's not the point of the book. It just is normalized. So that's the thing that we've been talking to him about is that um, I've just been really upfront just saying you don't you don't have a dad. Um, you have a Jill. <laughs> yes, I said not many people have a Jill um because jill is a person who doesn't feel uses female pronouns in the world but doesn't feel good about being referred to as a woman or um as a and certainly doesn't feel comfortable with the title of mum so so lenny's got a mum and a jill i think the most brutal thing is other kids like um Like, he has a little friend who actually herself has two mums. And I heard her saying to Lenny, you don't have a dad. And I'm like, yeah, neither do you.
0: (laughs) Work your shit out somewhere else, honey. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Uh. Yeah, so I I just, wow. Um, But on the whole, I mean, (sighs) Jill feels anxious about, you know, Lenny resenting that we've given him this different family, something that makes him different in the world. But I look at my friends who have older children, teenagers, some of them, and they're well-adjusted, healthy kids. They don't, you know, they're not raging against their mothers for bringing them into a queer family so I I think Lenny's going to be fine oh I think he's going to be great (laughs) but I do think that um talking to him about it all of it just from the start like telling him the story of him is crucial uh yeah um sometimes he's not interested in the story like there's been times where he's like yeah can you read me the story about an elephant instead (laughs) but um, more and more he is interested. We have talked a little bit about the fact that his he was conceived using donor sperm, but the concept of sperm is a bit, um, like, abstract. And, <laughs> and um, we feel like we don't need to be in contact with the donor. We haven't put ourselves on the... Um, on the register where they'll put you in contact if you're both on it. So where, but I would be responsive to Lenny if he wanted us to look into it.
0: Have you, this is a little, little change of direction. Have you and Jill, do you want to have more children? Have you thought, I'm sure you've probably thought about it. What's that like?
2: The biggest barrier is financial, I mean, I know that for everyone there's a financial decision about having more children. And I think until you do it, you cannot. The reality of having no income while you're on mat leave is so full on. It's just so full on. And, and and then the experience of trying to balance having a child and going back to work is also really full on. Just just could couldn't have estimated how intense that would be like I've had to drop out of. well essentially I've taken leave from my PhD but don't know how I can finish it (laughs) because I'm working three days a week um I'm on a really great pay but um but The other two days I have of a working week I have to look after Leonard, whereas you know if I was a childless person, I could have quite a comfortable life working those three days and doing my PhD the other days. and you know it's just this yeah um, and, and we don't have family who can give us any free care, so it's all paid care for us. So, anyway, that's just the kind of things. But then, again, there's that added um, <laughs> intenseness of having to find the money for IVF as well if we were to do it that way. It's, yeah, I mean, we found, I took a, um, I took 18 months of maternity leave and we are still now, when he's three, trying to come back from that financial blow. <laughs> And so, like, the the thought of finding money for another go of IVF is, I just, you know, like, I just don't even know where that would come from. The pros of doing more IVF would primarily be that we could have a full sibling to Leonard and we wouldn't have any complication. You know, it would be the same uncomplicated deal. I'm not even that deeply attached to the idea of your children needing to be full siblings half brothers and
0: yeah all of my siblings are all half siblings so
2: <laughs> yeah yeah you just that's what makes you siblings i think is growing up together we have talked about um trying to do at home with a friend um and not the same friend as i tried with because i think their situation has changed a bit like their feelings about it my feeling now is that my ideal donor would be, like a known donor, would be someone who has their own family, that they've finished having their own family already. I think that they have a very clear sense then of what it means to have children and what it, how they're going to emotionally respond to an infant and, you know, like all of that
0: really. Much more tough. known, yeah.
2: Just that they're not going to be projecting, you know, feelings about wanting to have a family onto potential child.
0: Lots to think about,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got some friends who are doing really well with the known donor and other friends who it's been a complete disaster.
0: and I think that's sort of what I hear from a lot of people is it kind of it can easily go either way, it can be really great or it can be really hard
2: but I mean whichever way it goes, you are tied to that person. you know sometimes it's hard enough coordinating three people in a family, let alone <laughs> any additional
0: people absolutely. Yeah, Ash and I struggle with just two of us. It's going to be interesting when there's four. <laughs> well, what a huge, epic journey and a beautiful, sweet little angel you've gotten out of it.
2: We are absolutely ridiculous. I think, like, we're, or actually, I think it's really common. But you know, we lie in bed and we're just like, oh my god, Leonard's so adorable. He's so Charles, Charles so clever and what. <laughs> Look at pictures on our phone. In love with him. Yeah. Like he's just the greatest thing. That's beautiful.
0: So nice to hear, you know, I know so many people who are still trying to get Mm. pregnant and have been trying for so long. So it's nice to speak to someone that it's worked and you're at year three and you're still smitten. That's beautiful.
2: I know. And I do just feel so lucky. You know, he's the lucky last little embryo. And of course, they put the embryo that they think is most likely, you know, the healthiest, best, they put that in first. So he was also the embryo least likely, you know. He'd lost a cell, you know, like he was, he, he yeah, like I think he was three cells. And then he, but, but he kept multiplying to six. And even
0: you know, like. Work buddy. Thank you for taking time out away from your holiday on a Friday. And. Oh, it's nice to talk. Hope you enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, that was so great to hear. Thanks so much for sharing. Tell us it's, um, yeah, really great to hear what you've been up to and talk again.
0: Yeah, it's really sweet. We, um, I guess just wanted to give you a couple minutes worth of an update on how we've been traveling. It's been a month, and the reason we swapped to a month in between episodes is that life has been really challenging uh, <laughs> and every day is sort of like um race to the finish line who will survive, survive. yeah <laughs> yeah. it's actually been really good switching to a month because really our capacity for anything outside of survival has been pretty low
1: oh well, i mean, i feel like really it's been really tough to do much else than like you're working part-time work, us look after the house, look after the animals, look after ourselves. I mean, even social things have just been on there. Oh,
0: none. (laughs) they're non-existent (laughs) for me. I think I did something today. Um, Actually went to this photo shoot with a bunch of other pregnant people for Hermosa Body in Torquay, Victoria, and it was really amazing. But that was actually the third thing in 14 weeks that i've done like i've just it's that you've actually just left the house i've actually left the house apart from someone just
1: paying you yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and and except (laughs) when i was forced to because i had to work um so yeah it's been it's been a big month but i feel like it's interesting that thing where every day feels like the longest
1: day but then you look back and go oh that's gone quickly which i guess is Mm. time yeah it's been it's been i guess pretty pretty hard just to focus and survive but it's also been really beautiful to be like this is just what we need to do like right now this is really bloody hard but it's it's worth it and it's really exciting and i guess in the last few weeks there's been a bit of a transition into like well i would say even probably the last week of like okay we can kind of enjoy it a bit more and this is real
0: yeah i think that and you know you've heard us talk until now around our level of caution and our emotional baggage with IVF and all of our fear and anxiety around being pregnant and staying pregnant. And you know, the reality of actually maybe a baby or two in our instance will come out of this. So we had our 12 week scan and it was really good. Yeah. And both little babies are healthy and strong and zero concern. Was,
1: Everything's what it's meant to be doing. I'm was, It was so, I was like, Oh so the kidneys are okay? Oh, so so what about the heart and, and the, the toes lungs? and these and the lungs? And the like person that was doing the scan was just like he was beautiful. Like, <laughs> man, I'm sorry I'm asking so many questions. I'm so anxious. As to like, everything's totally okay. So, and um, that week
0: you had been so anxious. You weren't sleeping yeah. and you were like we just need to know. I just need Friday to be here and it was it was a huge relief.
1: Yeah. I I think it was a big thing for me just to I guess in terms of milestones, I was like, I just need to make sure the 12-week scan's okay, and then after that I might be able to, like, sink this into my, you know, emotions and life and narrative and things a bit more. So definitely feels like we've done that. Um, oh, absolutely. And sort of switch from a chronic health condition that we're managing <laughs> to, oh, it's actually that you're pregnant. Something's coming from this. And I
0: think <laughs> that, that shift happened for me as well, but probably not until just maybe four or five days ago. So Mm -hmm. I'm at 14 weeks in one day today. And I've only started feeling mildly like a functioning person in the world probably four or five days ago. Um, So I feel really lucky that I've had a shift in my health. And with that, I've gotten to go, oh my God, there's babies inside of me. Ah, this (laughs) is happening. I'm growing this thing. This is insane. So um, yeah, it's just been... Yeah, it's been good. I'm glad we've reached that mark because every day sort of until then I just was like, far out. What have I signed myself up for? This is so hard. Um, so yeah, it's really nice. So what's happening?
1: We're having twins.
0: We're having twins. It's just surreal. <laughs> it's in a- in the best way possible. Yeah.
1: And I guess there's, you know, there's still obviously lots of, um, well, not lots, but there's still obviously some risk that things won't continue. But it's, um, I guess we're out of that really hard The bit. high risk. And we're we out of the high risk. We can be like, okay, you know, we can start looking at what double pram might be the best and we can start setting yeah. up, um, you know, and clearing out the, the room for where the babies are going to be and we can start talking about the babies yeah. versus, it, to me it was just a health condition before so we I just have to get through it. It's science, it's this really hard thing. Um, but it's like, okay, what you know, what this names... What this, what that. Yeah, talking
0: about names. Just, it's all just sort of gone next level. Mm. So it feels, yeah, it feels really, I feel really lucky and just really grateful. You know, we, we put in, I don't know how many years did we do IVF? Two and a half, something like that. We put in years of our time and our energy and our emotions and finally it's bloody paid off. So it's massive. It is. Yeah. Oh, I want to cry. <sighs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Ooh. yeah. It, is, it definitely feels like a we've reached a particular milestone. Is, yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. It feels Absolutely. Really nice. So hopefully we'll have these little people running around soon that will make us really <laughs> really tired, tired and <laughs> grumpy, and be like, "Why did we do this?" And <laughs> you know,
0: I'm excited to be grumpy about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really nice. Absolutely. Um, and just a bit of a topic, not topic change completely, but I've um, it's been really interesting, and it will continue to, I think, feel um, sort of highlighted in my eyes around this fem invisibility that I experience as a queer person. Um, and now that I carry a pregnant-looking body in the world, the the comments and the assumptions by people and, like, health professionals. And, like, I know that I've had so many health professionals make assumptions before about, you know, my identity and sexuality and all this stuff. I, you know, I find being visibly queer a really important part of who I am and a really important thing to do because I'm able to do so and it's safe for me. And by doing so, I, you know, create, you know, more pathways for other people who maybe Hmm. might not have otherwise been able to do so. It's really given me a bit of a knock around, I think the amount of times I've had to go, my partner is not a man. Or, you know, I had a doctor who was like, Oh, so I see you've been busy with twin. I see you've been busy now that you have twins, like in like making a reference to like having sex with my husband. (laughs) And I just was like, I'm sorry. Like, Uh... even if I wasn't straight, there's so many other, you know, so that's obviously that's about the invisibility of fertility issues but yeah. like the assumption that i'm straight the assumption that we got pregnant by having sex etc penetrative sex, you know what i mean just like mm. it's been um it's been a real rude awakening
1: and i think that that's probably um confounded by the fact that we live oh, in the country
0: yeah
1: um and i'm and i think people in geelong laugh when i say we live in the country they wouldn't
0: think that, that we do because they don't <laughs>
1: think that yeah but i think as a queer person, as a queer family and a queer couple, um, that's really different for us. Mm. And I think our experience, I think people, and most of the people, that most of the locals that we speak to aren't queer. So some of those nuances and things that we experience that are really different from living in the inner city in Melbourne. Mm. In a queer bubble. In yeah. a queer bubble. and that, Or with, you know, know,
0: health practitioners who are really informed and yeah. have really sensitive... We're bombarded
1: good. with, like, training around, yeah. you know, queer and um, gender and sexuality diversity and things. So yeah, it's really, it's, it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's been, and it, I will just continue to be so, you know, cause I'm just going to look more and more pregnant by the day. Mm. So it's going to be interesting. I'm sure that I'll eventually I'll develop some strategies and I'll sort of pick my battles. You could start wearing
1: like t-shirts that say, this is what a queer looks like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm not straight. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone must like sandwich, make sorry.
1: a t-shirt. Everyone had any screen printers at home. Yes, feel free to send us in <laughs> yes, t-shirts please. for Adrian. Um, yeah, I mean, even imagine when we start going to school and Ugh. maternal child health services and all of that stuff is—it's so straight. And so yeah, it's—it yeah. will be. It. I'm a not thing. excited
0: for our um, our birthing classes and all this, where they're like, and then the dad does this, and you're like, oh, <laughs>
1: your God. eyes and vomit a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so full on and it's like i don't have energy to you know just be on my queer educational crusade all the time Just not have it i'm mm. really tired but i don't sleep i have insomnia again now so yeah. Uh, yeah so also if any of you are listening to this and you have any good resources on queer invisibility and in pregnancy love yeah to have you send them through to That'd me so um for me to read but also to share them with others because i'm sure
1: that this is a very common ex- That's the puppy drinking from the water. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there are some resources and things that, that we know about, but it would be amazing to have some things around sort of femme invisibility oh, and, love it. and pregnancy. And um, I know when I was going through IOI, I was really excited about the Pregnant Butch, Nine Long Months Spent in Drag by AK Summers. And um, there are some sort of resources and sites around non-binary, butch, trans, genderqueer, um, people undergoing pregnancy. But I think it's really amazing. If anyone has any resources around femmes, I think it's really,
0: and if there's nothing out there, then maybe me and some powerhouse films get together and we make something. Oh my God,
1: how good would that be? would
0: be so good. <laughs> and like start now while well, I still got all the pregnancy rage and i like, it's all fresh in my mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's been, it's really exciting. And I know that we're kind of really emotional and it's, kind of an interesting oh, update right now emotional. but um yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's really exciting and we're really really happy and we will continue to to share with you our updates and stories at the end of each of our podcast but obviously the main bit will be around our sharing of a, an interview and a narrative um with someone who's, who's willing to share their experience of IVF and IUI yeah
0: so we only have a couple of months left really so only a couple of episodes so um I'm very aware that sort of the the narratives and stories that have been outlined have been a very sort of middle-class white experience. Um, and I would really love to have representation from lots of different types of families. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you know someone and cause really it's all been that people have basically reached out to us and said, we're keen to do this. Yeah. Um, so if you know anyone um, who might have a good story to share or who maybe their type of family hasn't been represented then we would love to hear from them or hear from you. Absolutely,
1: especially um, any families that are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and people of colour. Yeah. Um, you know, we really would be so into um to listening and hearing your stories.
0: Yeah. So so please message us. Um, and we swear we'll get back to you. It'd be really good to um pump up and really get a couple really good interviews <laughs> before it's all yeah. before it's all said and done
1: absolutely so thank you so much for for listening to yet another episode and waiting a few weeks for it too
0: y'all are amazing so um thanks for listening to credit card families and hanging out with us to laugh cry and sigh while we make our very own credit card family and thank you to cecilia Caboquinto for our episode artwork and also to emma pollock for our music and
1: we'll talk to you guys in a month see you later Bye. bye